Let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Let's ask for His power. Let's ask Him to open our hearts so that He can speak to us. Let's pray. Lord, we've just been singing about Your power present here among us. Lord, that is our prayer. We know, Lord, that You are present everywhere all at the same time. And so You are here. But we pray for Your power to move in us and as we leave this place to move through us and into this community. And Lord, we want to come before You with humble hearts this morning and pray, Lord. May we push aside all our preconceived ideas May we push aside all those things which clutter our minds and may you speak directly to our hearts through your living word. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, do a mighty work in us and through us, we pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you ladies are fishing widows. Any fishing widows here? Or maybe you ladies catch fish and the husbands have to uh, put up with... Oh, sorry, Lisa. I forget about Lisa. Sometimes, sometimes when uh, we go fishing and someone comes with you that doesn't know much about fishing, is not much interested, and you're sitting there for hours and nothing's happening, they say, how can you do this? You actually find fun in this. And I know any fisherman's answer is easy, because it might happen. That fish might just bite today. You see our passions there, our hearts there, we enjoy it. And then the challenge comes from God's word today. How come when he's made us fisher of men and we've got a mandate to do it, how come we go about that task? with long teeth and a lot of excuses. How come we haven't got that same passion then? To be fisher of men. And we're going to come back to that as we look at this passage this morning from the book of Luke as we've been working through this book. We come to Luke chapter 5 and the exciting event where Jesus calls disciples to him permanently. Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. And I'd ask you to turn there with me please. Luke chapter 5 and the first 11 verses. Let's see what Jesus does and how he interacts with these people. Chapter 5 verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now that's the lake of Galilee. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked Simon to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, 
But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What an exciting fishing day that must have been. A day that Simon Peter will never forget. Those fishermen with him would never forget it. You see, this wasn't the first contact Jesus had with these people, with these fishermen. He had met them previously. There had been a progressive call in their lives and you need to be clear on this, otherwise you're going to get a little bit confused. You see, when you read through the Gospels, you'll find various occasions, occasions where Jesus calls Simon and Andrew, and then he seems to call them again, Simon and Andrew and a few others. And that's exactly what happened, you see. It was a progressive call of these men into discipleship with the Lord. If you look back at John 1.39, Jesus said to Simon and Andrew, Come and see. Come with me. And so they followed Jesus for that day. And then the next day, Jesus said to Philip and Nathaniel, follow me, John chapter 1 verse 43. And so they followed him. And then we see in John chapter 2, 2, where Jesus goes to the wedding in Cana, where the first miracle takes place. And this miracle is witnessed by not just the people of Samaria, but also these disciples that have been now following Jesus for a short while and others who aren't mentioned in this passage. And then Jesus again calls the four fishermen disciples, Simon, Andrew, James and John, to follow him. You go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. And they follow Jesus, but they're still carrying on fishing as a sideline. So they follow Jesus, and when they're not busy with Jesus, then they go all fishing. So that's the progression we see. Until we get to this passage today, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, where Jesus fills their boat with fish. And then from this time on, the disciples leave their boats and they follow Jesus everywhere. The boats are left behind. And so it's a progressive calling. And you know, I take great courage in that. I don't know about you. But when the Lord called me, He didn't call me instantly. He called me over a period of time. A word I heard. Words from scripture I heard. Testimony in someone's life. And so the Spirit draws us closer. In other people's lives, the Lord calls them and immediately they leave everything behind and they follow Him. I don't know what your story is. But you know the encouraging thing is? It doesn't matter how the Lord calls us. In the end, we are all saved. And we can follow Him. Is that encouraging? It is. The Lord calls us all in different ways. You see, we're in different places in our spiritual lives. And the Lord knows how to draw each one of us. 
That's the encouraging thing. And if you don't know the Lord yet, here comes the gospel message to you right at the start this morning. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, come to Him. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. Jesus can meet you right there and He will draw you to your, to Himself. And He will take away that sin in your life and He will make you pure before Him and you can come to Him. You don't first need to get perfect and then He'll save you. Don't believe that lie. Come as you are. And Jesus Christ will and can save. He's a sovereign God. He's an all-powerful God. He can do it. But you need to come. Let's go back a bit in this passage to what happens here on this day. And I'm going to walk through it and we're going to, I'm going to comment as we go through what happens. You see, Jesus meets his people and previously we'd seen that Jesus had been healing people. It had been an all-nighter for Jesus. And now we just have another incident where Jesus is next to the lake and he is preaching to people. Remember Jesus had been healing He'd been teaching in the synagogue, and now we see Jesus outside in a normal day of the week. He's preaching. He's teaching the people. And there are masses around Jesus. So much so because it says they, they were hearing the word, the truth preached. They were clamoring and holding on to his lips. So much so that they press in on him. And you can see Jesus kind of edging back towards the lake, and the crowd is coming in, and he's edging back. And the crowd wants to hear, and so they come nearer. And after a while, he can feel the water at his feet. And now it's sink or swim. And so Jesus sees two boats, and he gets into a boat. And the fisherman must have noticed and said, that's my boat. Well, come, Peter, push out so that I've got space. You see, and just from an acoustics point of view, what an amazing thing. They didn't have microphones like today. And so Jesus pushes out onto the water, and as he speaks, the water reflects that sound to this multitude. Jesus knew how to use the basic principles of nature for his purposes. And he speaks to this great crowd. Interesting too that although Jesus speaks to the crowd, there are individuals there that Jesus is going to focus in on. And those four fishermen, they weren't part of the crowd. They were at his side. They were busy, busy washing their nets, you see, because they'd been out all night. And they were kind of at his side, but Jesus had them in view, even though he was speaking to this crowd. And Jesus had one of those four fishermen that he wanted to interact with and draw into the kingdom. You see, it wasn't a coincidence that Jesus was there on the lake of Galilee that day. He was very intentional about it. He knew that that day Simon Peter would come into that fold, and Jesus was going to speak to him. And so Jesus says to Simon Peter, push out into the deep water. And after Jesus had spoken, he said, now Simon, I want you to come with me. And I want you to go deeper out, Simon. And then I want you to let down your nets. And we're going to catch some fish. Now, I don't know about you, if you've been fishing one o'clock in the day, if it's not a high tide, you're wasting your time. You see, on the Lake of Galilee, they used to fish at night. And the fishermen used to come in with their little boats. They had a shallow draft on the boats. They used to come in close to the shore because the, the fish used to come there because the water is a little bit warmer over there. And so that's where the fish would be and the fishermen would catch them. In the deep water, the fishermen didn't want to go. You see, fishermen were superstitious because there were all kinds of things in that deep water that could pull you under. 
And there were spirits living over there and they were very afraid of the deep water. And that is why even later in the Gospels, when they're involved in storms over the deep water, they weren't so afraid of the water as it was the depth. And it wasn't because they couldn't necessarily swim. It was because of what was in the water. Superstitions. And so Jesus says to him, listen, push out into the deep water. And Peter's saying, pardon? Jesus, I'm the fisherman. I've got a business fishing, Lord. What are you, Lord? You're a carpenter, Lord. You're telling me how to fish? Can you see it going through his mind? It doesn't say it straight out here, but you can see it in his response. Lord, out in the open water, in the deep water, there's no fish in the middle of the day. We're wasting our time. I've been fishing all night, Lord. And there's obviously no fish in this area. But Jesus says to him, push out. You see, Jesus gives him a command. He doesn't suggest to Peter, listen, Peter, if you lay down your nets, then maybe you'll catch something. He says to him a command. Peter, push out. Let down your nets for a catch. Do you hear that? There's a command there and a promise. Let down your nets. You will catch something, Peter. What is Simon's response? A very human response. There's a little bit of reticence there. And you can even, there might even be a bit of a mild irritation there. And he says, Lord, Master, we've been trying all night and nothing's happened, but because you say so, Lord, I will do it. Do you see that battle there in Peter? A battle between faith and doubt? A battle between trust and misgiving? I don't know if you've experienced stuff like that before. When the Lord asks you to do things, or do you just go straight out and do it? Well, you've got more faith than me. I know the battle that happens in us. But Peter, in faith, puts down his nets. And because he steps out in faith and listens to the Lord, he witnesses a miracle. And wouldn't we experience more miracles if we stepped out in faith, in obedience to what the Lord says? But we hold back in reticence because we think we know better as human beings. God says do. And Peter does. And the creator of the universe is there with Peter in that boat and he creates fish right there. And fish come into this net. And the Lord doesn't just create five snapper and one big fish. A kingy. He creates a whole lot of fish. So many fish that the nets want to break. And so Peter shouts out to the partners on the other boats nearby, bring that boat! We're sinking! There's too many fish! And so they come with the other boats and they try and enclose that net with all those fish. And these must have been fairly big fish. And both boats start to sink. And look at Peter's reaction. I love Peter's reaction. What does he do? He doesn't say, Hang on, Lord, I just need to deal with the situation first. We're going to sink. What does he do? In the middle of all this chaos, what does Peter do? He's on his knees in front of the Lord saying, Lord, depart from me. I'm an evil man. I'm a sinful man, Lord. I've seen this, what you've done for me. And this is supernatural, Lord. You are the Messiah. I realize I'm just a man. Depart from me, Lord. I doubted you in sin, Lord. What a moment for Peter. You see, Simon realized that Jesus, standing in front of him, was his master. And not just his master as in captain of the boat, but his master as Lord. Lord, you are my Lord. Depart from me. You are God. I'm a sinful man. 
Simon realized his own humility in front of deity, didn't he? He was God with him in this boat. You see, the truth had been put in front of Simon and the truth exposed Simon's sin before God. And what does that result in? Confession of sin. You see, when we are exposed to truth, the only thing that can happen to us is conviction of our hearts and then confession of sin. Otherwise, no true conviction has happened. What do you do when truth comes in front of you? When you're exposed to the truth of God's word, is there conviction in your heart? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to use that and to change you? And does it lead to confession? And it must be confession of sin because we confess our sin and the next minute we fall for sin again. And we confess our sin and we take a step and we fall of sin again. We need to confess our sin. And Simon does this before God. You see, he realized that his resistance and his, re- and his reticence to obey our God, his God, was sin. And, he, and Simon realized that although he was the expert, Jesus was the Lord, not just of him, but of the sea and all creation. Because what he just saw there couldn't have happened, but it did. Simon saw the Lord's sovereignty in his own sin, didn't he? It shows in his reaction. You see, when one is confronted with Jesus Christ, in whatever form that takes, whether it's through the word or the convicting power of the Spirit, it brings confession. It brings perspective to our lives. This is also the first time in Luke's Gospel that we see a man responding in a way that he should. You see, the people had been confronted with truth in the synagogues. We read about that last time. They'd been confronted with this amazing thing happening where demons were thrown out in public and cast out by the Lord Jesus Christ. But their response was marvel, but not the right kind of marvel. Peter has the right type of marvel response here. He realizes, you are Lord, I am man. And he worships. Those people were overawed, but they didn't worship the Lord. There's a difference here, you see. For the first time we see a man and the gospel and Jesus' power had penetrated his heart and he realized that Jesus was so righteous and he was so wretched as Peter. And without Simon realizing it, you see, the Lord is providing for him in his temporary needs by giving him that great catch. But in a way also, God would not a little while later provide for Peter for his soul by dying for Simon Peter on that cross, taking Simon's sin on him. And he would die and gives Simon freedom. But Simon didn't know all that. What Simon was confronted here was this amazing thing that had just happened. And he realizes, Jesus is with me in this boat. Here is God with me. And his immediate, his immediate reaction is fear. And Jesus reads it in him because what is, what is Jesus' response? Verse 10. He says to him, Simon, do not fear. Do not fear. And then he gives him an instruction. But he says, do not fear. You see, Simon realized that he was a sinful man before a holy God. And then what Jesus was going to say next was also going to create fear in Simon. Because Jesus was going to say next to him, Simon, I want you to leave your business behind. I want you to leave your boats behind. I want you to leave your income behind. The way of life you know. And I want you to come with me. 
I'm going to give you a whole new vocation, Simon. You're going to become a fisher of men. And that must have brought up fear in Simon too. How's this going to work? I've got bills to pay. Just because it was Old New Testament didn't mean they didn't have bills. They had bills to pay like you and I. They had children to feed. He was staying there and, and I'm pretty sure his wife would have said to him, the roof of this house needs repairing, Simon. How are we going to pay for that? My mother, my mother, Simon, she's sick. And Jesus healed her. But we've got to look after my mother, Simon. You see, this called for trust. And with trust comes fear. That's our human response, isn't it? You see, this called for a daily trust in Jesus. When Jesus said to him, follow me, Simon had to put aside everything he knew to date, all his securities, everything he had, and he had to turn his back on that and follow Jesus Christ. And was he following Jesus Christ into a well-thought-out campaign? No. He was following Christ, wherever that might lead. You see, what Simon Peter was experiencing here was not just Jesus as Israel's teacher. He wasn't just experiencing Jesus as Israel's healer, but he was experiencing Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as Israel's provider and his own provider. Wow, interesting passage, isn't it? Exciting. But I come to that so what question. How does that affect you and I? We've read this passage now. How does it affect you and I? What is the call of Jesus on your life this morning and on my life? Because Jesus put this passage here for a purpose when he included it in the canon of Scripture. I want to start with this, please. I want to say what it doesn't teach. Because many people have been misled by this. So what does this passage not teach? This passage does not teach that there are those who are, that those who are most committed to Christ must leave their secular jobs to be his disciples. So the text is not saying to you this morning, because you've read this, it means you phone your boss tomorrow and you resign and you go and go for ministerial training or you go and become a missionary in Africa. It's not what this passage is saying. You see, there are far too many Christians who feel like second-class Christians because they're not in so-called full-time Christian service. There are also, on the other side, too many who have entered full-time Christian service who shouldn't be there in the first place because they've put themselves there. They haven't been called into the ministry. You know, Spurgeon said very wise words which rang in my ears when I was still a teacher for so many years. He said, stay out of the pulpit, stay out of full-time ministry until the Lord puts you there. You can serve the Lord in whatever you do. It's a heart obedience that Jesus is calling for. Follow me, he says, with your heart first. And if it means that the Lord calls you out of whatever you're doing into full-time ministry, then yes, he'll make it clear. But until then, serve where you serve and serve the Lord where you serve, but follow him with your heart first. It's a heart call. Do you see that? So that's what the passage doesn't say. It doesn't say resign your job 
and become a minister. Right, what does the passage teach? And there are four things that I want to outline here this morning for us. The first thing is this. Following Jesus requires faith in Him as our all-sufficient Savior. You see, without finding life in Jesus Christ, and without finding active faith in Jesus Christ, you and I are utterly lost, and we are of no use to Him. If you are not a Christian, you cannot serve God. You need to be a believer, and then you can serve Him. He needs to be your Lord and your sovereign God, and then He will use you. Until then, He won't, and He can't use you. See, all of Peter's fears vanished when he realized the sufficiency of the one who had called him to be a fisher of men. It dawned on Peter, here is God with me in the boat. And he is saying to me, I want you to follow me. And yes, I can go. Peter realized that God, Jesus, was his all-sufficient Savior. And to follow Jesus is to be assured of God's provision of forgiveness of sins. It's to be assured of righteousness. To follow Jesus Christ for you and I is to be assured of our physical needs being met. Not our wants, our physical needs being met. Jesus will meet them. To follow Jesus Christ is is to be assured of eternal life. Not necessarily of life. Stephen lost his life. Jesus might call your life from you. But you will get eternal life, you see. Following Jesus is to be assured of divine guidance and direction. No longer will you be on your own. Jesus will help you through life and in the decisions of life. He will be there to give you direction. He will be there to show you when you must do what you must do. To follow Jesus is to be assured that all that is required to do his will will be given to you. He will provide for the task. He will equip for the task. But he wants from you and I that recognition that he is the sovereign God. He is the Savior. We are mankind. You see, our great lack of faith sometimes when we go through deep and dark and situations out of our grasp, we have an inadequate grasp of the goodness and the greatness of God. We take our eyes off the ball. We take our eyes off the Lord. We forget that He is sovereign. He's all powerful. And so we need to acknowledge our inadequacies and our need of Him. We need to admit to our Lord our inability to live lives that He wants us to, to live. We need to admit to our Lord our proneness to sin. We can nearly not help it. And then we are to have faith in Him and He will do the rest. You see, if Jesus had told Peter right there, Peter, I want you to follow me. And by the way, Peter, listen to this. I'm going to make you the head of the whole church. I think Peter would have run into the water and drowned himself, probably. Well, I can't do that. I'm just a fisherman. But what did God do? He said, Peter, follow me. I want your obedience. I will do the rest. I will show you progressively where we go. If anyone had ever told me, that I'd be a minister, I would never have believed them. I wanted to fly in the Air Force. I wanted to be a vet. I didn't know what I wanted, actually. 
And look what the Lord's done. I still can't believe it sometimes. God has to do it, but we must follow. Secondly, following Jesus means discipleship. So what is, what is it to be a disciple? A disciple is to be a follower. In other words, there Jesus walks, I follow in his steps. Now, already I can hear some saying, but Calvin, that's a bit impossible. He's kind of died, and now he's living in heaven. How do I follow his steps? I can't see that. Well, these are the steps you must follow. Firstly, you must have a willingness to go where Jesus leads. In your life, where has Jesus been prompting you to go with him? Are you following in his steps? You must have a humility before Jesus. You see, Peter needed Jesus. Jesus didn't necessarily need Peter. But Peter needed the Lord. Have you got a humility or have you got this false sense of your own importance and your own greatness and your own abilities? Follow in the steps of Jesus humbly. And the third step that you need to follow in, in behind Jesus Christ is full commitment. And I mean totality. We were singing about that a little earlier. Lord, take my hands. Take my voice. Take my silver and my gold. Take everything, Lord. Did you mean that? The Lord demands from us full commitment, totality, if we are to be his disciples. So tell me, as in my life, what are those things that you struggle to let go of so that you can fully commit to following the Lord? What are those things you kind of find it real hard to let go of? That's holding you back from true discipleship. You need to bring it to the sovereign Lord and he can deal with it. Don't hold back on it. Are you a true disciple of Lord Jesus Christ? The third lesson I think we can take from this is this, that following Jesus means obedience. Do whatever he tells you to do. And sometimes, yes, it might even go against logic and circumstances. I think of that wedding at Cana, John chapter 2 verse 5. There the guests are at the wedding, they've run out of wine, and that's serious trouble at those parties they had those days. All right, And so Jesus' mother is there, and she goes to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus comes along and he says, fill this, these wine vats with water. And the, they must have thought, pardon? He says, fill them with water. And so they do. They do whatever he says. And what happens? A miracle happens. They dip into the wine, they taste it, and they go to the owner, to the guy getting married, and they say, but why did you keep all this best wine till later, this good vintage? Why did you keep it till now? You should have served this out first. But you see, Jesus has done that because people had obeyed. Sometimes things seem against logic and circumstances. Sometimes it might seem counterculture. Sometimes it might seem against customs and against the world's wisdom. But if God calls you to do something, do it. And as we were reminded earlier this year, do it quickly. Obey God quickly. Now, there's a warning attached here. Don't just go on your feelings, people. Don't just resign, as I've said, and go to Africa tomorrow. It's not going to work. Yes, that's good obedience. It's quick obedience. But it's the wrong kind of obedience. It's not wise obedience. You see, when we hear the Lord's guidance in our lives, we are to make sure that we've got wise counsel. Go and check what you've heard with 
someone that you regard as wise in the Lord, go and say to them, I want you to pray with me. God has put this in me that I need to maybe go into training to become a missionary. But I'm not sure. Go and pray with someone. Ask them to double check with you. And then be obedient. You see, but the obedience starts with what? It's going to that person and saying, the Lord has called me. I think he has. Can you?" Ch-? There's the obedience. It's not the being in Africa, but it starts with the heart, you see. Be obedient quickly. And then be obedient in God's way. God will never ask you to do something that is counter his word. You've heard a false message. Don't believe it. And there are many Christians who have done things which one can only shake your head at because they think it's been from the Lord, but it hasn't been. It's been false. They haven't gone and checked. God will never do anything against his way. So make sure. Ask for wise counsel. But be obedient quickly from your hearts. Why? And that's my last point here this morning. Because following Jesus means blessing, I'm not finished yet, and hardship. Those two always come together. Blessing, hardship. You will never have blessing without hardship. You will never have hardship without blessing. They always come together. And following Jesus means both. And yes, Peter experienced blessing. He did. The Lord filled two whole nets. Two whole boats were nearly sinking from fish. And they could probably sell it and he would be able to provide for his family for the rest of the time that Peter followed the Lord. It was a big catch. So he experienced the Lord's blessing. He experienced worshipping the Lord. He fell down at the Lord's feet and said, Lord, you are my master and my Lord. I'm a mere man. That was worship, you see. That was blessing. And he experienced a life of service with the Lord from there on. And yes, it went through ups and downs, but it was a life of blessing for Peter. But you see, there was also a cost. Peter had to leave his home. He had to leave his friends. He had to leave his family. He had to possibly lose his popularity when he started speaking out the truth and people wondered if he'd lost his nut. You and I might be called to lose our worldly security to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things that the world has so that they feel secure. We might be called to lose a lot of our time for ourselves because the Lord will be asking us to serve Him. You become a pastor and see how much time you've got left for yourself. It is there to serve the Lord. How much of your time are you using to serve the Lord? And yes, you might be taken right way out of your comfort zone. I can guarantee that actually. You get taken way out of your comfort zone when you start following the Lord and serving Him. And so yes, there is a cost to be had with you. Your family might think you've lost it. I had a good friend of ours when when we heard we were coming to the ministry. He said, what? You're going to live in poverty? But that's the impression he had, you see. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 to 7. Look what happens there. There's that whole vision. And Isaiah comes before the Lord and he says, Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips. How can I go out, Lord, with this message? And then God provides. 
He brings an angel with tongs. And it's tongs from the holy fire. And he comes and touches Isaiah's lips. And now Isaiah is ready to go. And the Lord sends him. You see, when God guides you and I, he will provide. He will. We can put our faith in that. He will provide if we are following his guidance. If we are going elsewhere and not with the Lord, he won't provide. Following Jesus requires that you and I count the cost. Have you counted the cost this morning of being a believer? And it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. Are you counting the cost daily to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it means that we forsake anything and everything besides Jesus, those things in which we trust to feel secure, those things in which we trust to feel significant in this life. We put them behind us. Those things in which we feel safe, we put them behind us. And we cling on to one only in faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else, no one else, only Him. And then we follow Him where He goes. And we don't know where life's going to go with us, but we know the Lord who goes before us, don't we? And we go with Him. And so I really want to challenge you, young people today, listen to me please. Some of you are finishing your school careers and you're starting to go into uni. Or you might be a young married couple here. You've got your lives ahead of you. As many days as the Lord will give you. I want to challenge you this morning. Give it to the Lord first. Lord, here we are. We're young married. Lord, here I am. I'm finishing my studies. What do you want me to do, Lord? Here here I am. I want to follow you first, Lord. And then I'll follow the career. And then I'll follow that six-figure salary, if they still exist. But Lord, I want to follow you first. Do you do that? I want to challenge you this morning. You see, out of this community of ours here, you people, look around you. There might be some of us here who the Lord is still going to take far away from here. And it might be to Waka. It might be to China. It might be to Ethiopia. It doesn't matter. But some of us here might go because of obedience in our hearts. It's obedience first to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is true discipleship. But there is a cost. Count it. You see, Jesus says to you and I today from this passage, follow me first and I will make you fishers of men. Who makes us fishers? God does it. We follow. He makes us fishers of men. He equips us for the task. And God will use you and people will be saved to life. You see, the Greek word used there, I will make you fishers of men, is I will make them fishers of life. They will be caught to life. And so when you act in obedience to the Lord, He will use you in people's lives, whether it's through what you say, whether it's through the way you get alongside them, and He will bring them to Himself and they will receive life. You become an instrument in his hands and people are saved to life. Do you want to be used by the Lord for that? And people remain in eternity because of your obedience and what you did with the Lord working through you. I want to be part of that legacy. But, count the cost. Leave your boats behind you. and Be separate to me, says the Lord. In other words, be fully committed uh, be a fully 
committed disciple of Jesus Christ, in heart and in practice, set apart to the Lord. Leave whatever you need to leave behind you and follow Him. Are you fully committed to Him this morning? You see, God's Word hasn't come to you by accident from this passage this morning. Just as Jesus stood next to that shore, today His Word comes to you as well from this specific passage. And I don't know who it's speaking to here, but the Lord could be saying to you, I want you to act in obedience and then I will take you from here and I will use you mightily for me. But at the very same time, the opposite is also true. Many of those people heard the message. And wow, what a message. And wow, what text. And then they turned and they carried on with their lives as if nothing had happened. They lost out on God's blessing. And God didn't use them the way he could have used them. Don't be one of those. Act when the Lord asks you to act. Be obedient. And be a true, fully committed disciple. You see, there's a net out there as well. These people were to catch fish, right? Our mandate is to catch fish. That is the mandate God has given to us. And as we act in obedience, God draws us closer and closer to Him until one day in eternity we'll be this close forever with the Lord. We'll be holy. But there's another net out there as well. And that is the the net of the world which draws you and I away in increments very slowly, very slowly without you realizing it until you're further from the Lord, you're less obedient, you're less effective. You see which direction it's heading? Away. It's either to or away from the Lord. Which way are you being drawn this morning as you sit in your seat? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, in your providence, we've come to this passage this morning. We've been given the example of Simon, the one who you were to build your church on later. And we've been given an insight into his struggle when he was asked to be obedient by you. And Lord, thank you for his obedience, even though it was reticent initially. Thank you that he did obey and that you did build your church on him. And here we are today because of your great work of grace. Lord, I want to pray for every single person here, for those who do not know you, Lord, today is the day where you can save them too, if they would but come. Lord, may they get up out of their seats and come to you. May they fall down on their knees before you and cry, Lord, you are my Lord and I'm a sinful human being. Save me. And then you will. And Lord, I pray for those who are believers here today. I pray that we would be obedient to your call on our lives. We've heard your word. May we be obedient to it, Lord. May we put aside those things which we're holding on to instead of you. May we put aside those things which are central in our lives instead of you. May we put aside those things which are keeping us back from service to you so that we can be holy and set apart for your service alone, I pray. Make us faithful, Lord. Make us true, obedient disciples. In your name and in your mighty power, you can do this.